Jim. Mm. Hey, Jim. Mm. Wake up. Well, who, who are you? Oh, hi. Well, uh, my name's Chris, and I'm not your wife, and... Uh, what do you want? Well, I was rather hoping to ask you to press my button today. You're going to what? Well, yes, you see, I've got this machine right here. Now, now, now look here. What's that? Oh, uh, don't worry. It's just the randomizer. Uh, think you can figure out how to operate it? Well, you must depress the button on the control console. That's it. You've got it. I wish... I knew what this is all about. Oh, uh, don't worry about your wife, by the way. Marina's taking her out for a bit of a girl's night. I merely put on one of her nightgowns and got into bed with you. God, so that explains it. Yes, indeed. Right, let's see what we have here. Okay, well, today's episode is Terror Hawks and its first strike. Suppose I should get out of bed and watch it, really? Stop. Sorry? I was just hoping to get to know you better. Ah, well... Uh... You certainly got a... Got a lovely voice. Well, aren't you sweet? But still, duty calls. Oh. So, welcome back to Terrorhawks on the Randomizer. And uh, I was just thinking there, as the uh, the uh, credits uh, drew to a close there, how much like the Joe 90 opening theme, the, the opening titles and the, the music of Terrorhawks just makes me happy. For a lot of the, the other Anderson shows, you know, for, for Stingray and Thunderbirds or whatever, I, I get excited. Maybe there's a bit of nostalgia in there, but for, for Terrorhawks, as well as the excitement and the nostalgia, it's just, it's such a happy piece of music and uh, and a, a happy show for me in, in, in many ways. And anyway, we're opening with uh, Kate re-recording. Faster than the speed of your love. This was something I always found odd with Kate. Uh, I get that they had, like... 20 songs recorded for her but very often you would see her in the in the studio re-recording yet another version of a song that we already know she she's recorded before or she's performed live before but uh how was it yeah well uh it was um that's it for me they were, they were always good to hear again i, I love the, the songs in this show i love the quality of the songs this is yeah, right for me 15 20 consistently good quality songs from kate and it's it's such a shame that so many of them are just uh right. fantastic sensational lost to history unfortunately <laughs> well, but how was it for you Stu? <sighs> stew's having a bit of a moment there great He's also got a lot of prop, uh, well, it's been a prop food on his desk. A lot of sandwiches. And a Coke can. Um, Thanks. Strategically positioned so as not to uh, display the Coke logo directly to the camera. By the way, Stu, I think you're pretty fantastic. Fantastic? Ah. Oh yeah, right, got it. <laughs> fantastic, yeah. And again, we know, uh, we've had subtle hints up to this point that uh, Stu has a, a, a bit of a fondness for Kate, and uh, sometimes it's nice to see it uh, reciprocated as well. Adam, I, uh, I must have closed my eyes for a moment or two. And Hudson was asleep. That's all right, Hudson. Home, madam? Where else? So, leaving Anderbur Records after a fairly late night, and who's this following them? There's a... Uh, Shadowy, a pair of shadowy figures in a red car. Like the donkey, Hudson, we seem to have a tail. Indeed, madam. I have observed their presence for some time. I think I'd better report it to Hawknest. 
It's nice as well. We have a, a nice sort of suspicious, ominous opening. We're not starting on on Mars with a bit of uh, a bit of silliness up there. Keeping their distance. All right, Kate. Take it easy and drive home. But as we'll ultimately discover, the Martians, uh, for once in this episode, weren't actually plotting anything. Also, don't like it. Stand by to launch Hawkwing. Ten ten. Zero. Saw. Come with me. I may need you. You only have to say the word, and I'm with you every inch of the way. In Hawkwing. Where's he gonna sit? This is a ten fifty. Oh, okay. They've they've got a little zeroid seat behind Tiger. And there's stock footage of Hawkeye in the, uh, well, they, they call it the egg section of Hawkwing, don't they? Pretending that uh, he's still part of the show, which, of course, he barely is by this point. So, Hawkwing is off. Separation in ten seconds. Stand by. Ten-ten, Hawkeye. Uh, who are you again? Four, three, two, one, zero. Oh, I, I like Hawkeye. As, as many of you will probably uh, probably appreciate. I never quite understood what happened with him in the second series. He's, the, he's there quite prominently in the first episode of series two, and then this and Runaway, and I think that's it. He's, he's gone otherwise. But again, a nice, uh, nice building element of mystery in this one, as Hawkwing approaches uh, Kate's little mountain hideaway, and uh, again, the, the fact that it's all taking place at night makes the effects look that much, uh, much more convincing. And this is one of those episodes where, I think I may have said this before, but that um, as Terrorhawks developed, you know, it got increasingly uh, tongue-in-cheek. But there were times when that made the more serious episodes and moments work much better. And this is a prime example of that. On the light, saw. No. Kate, where are you? About a mile from the house. Just drive straight up. We'll be waiting. Uh, Tiger and Zero have already got there. I guess Hawkeye's gone home. Because, you know, it's not like he could have been of any use here at all. Tiger? Over here. Leave the lights off. I've just taken my clothes off and I'm kind of embarrassed. You must have stopped at the foot of the rise. Mm, yep, he stopped. An XK20. Ooh. Looks a lot like um, Colonel Johnson's Helijet, actually. I suspect it's the same model, and why not? I mean, you only need it for that one shot. XK20, and it's down. Move the men in. Oh. So the car is now signaling. I thought I saw some movement to the right. But I can't be sure. Who are they, Tiger? I wish I knew. Oh, and the house is surrounded. All right, you tarot hawks. You're surrounded. We're coming in. And they are too. They're coming up in the lift. Tiger's got his gun ready. And there is... Well, our pair of shadowy men from the car. Pop guns. Put them down. You might hit one of these grenades. Make a mess. Oh, this is the famous hawk nest. You must be Einstein. I'm General Cord. Rip to my men and my friends. Mm. All right, General Rip Cord. Yeah, Why there's the uh, the slightly serious uh, tone of the opening has kind of been thrown out the window there. Hey, 
I told him, give me 24 hours, I'll find Hawkness. What in Sam Hill is this? But I like this idea that the military have been assigned to, to track down Hawknest, and uh, Cord is so convinced that he's done it by finding Kate's mountain hideaway. Yeah, you're not so bad. And Cord has a bit of a fondness for... Shaw. Not just a fondness, but an instant acceptance of what Zero is. Oh, you got a sentient robot. Oh, okay, I'm on board with that. He's a nice guy. Mention of the world president there. The NASA representative, sure. We'll meet up there. On that excuse for a spaceship of yours. Ooh. You're out of your mind. My orders are to assume command of the Terrorhawk organization as of now. We meet on Spacehawks. So they've uh, dragged Johnson up to Spacehawk. My command? Oh, well, let's say someone's been put in over your head on a hopefully temporary basis. How temporary? Who knows? A week's a long time in the power game. Yeah. And I do like what they did with Johnson uh, throughout the course of the series, from you know developing from a basic you know just authority figure into something a bit more well a bit more realistic. He's very often, um, although he's Tiger's superior essentially, he's very often he f finds himself on the defensive with with Tiger. I'm a hot bath man. Yeah, that's what I figured. Oh. Come on over here. Got something to show you. So everyone's on Spacehawk. Take a look out there. And what do we have here? A fairly large and impressive spaceship. What is it? Big White One. Commissioned last month, the most powerful space carrier ever built. Why wasn't I told about this? Because it was a secret military project. And what do you intend to do with this Big White One? Eliminate the threat of Zelda. Aha, there it is. My intention to blow that alien complex and everyone in it off the face of Mars. And it's a lovely model, this big white one. But there we go. We are halfway through the episode. We haven't even met the Martians yet. Um, but we are now leaving and orbit. Five, four and, a half engine room. and even though really all we see of this ship is the bridge populated by three puppets, that's a. Uh, Yes, General. General Cord and, and two other officers. The fact that it's so completely dwarf Spacehawk, you really do get the sense that this is a huge, huge ship with a lot of people on board. Nice soundtrack on that, uh, those engines as well. You there, Einstein? I'm here. Follow Big White One. <laughs> That's if you can keep up. Ooh. Set a course for Mars. And these soldier characters look quite fun. I, I think because there's something about male Terrorhawks characters, by and large, they look quite... Their heads look quite solid and stocky, and it actually suits these soldier characters fairly well, especially where, as most of them have got no hair. Meanwhile, Youngstar is uh, dealing with more important matters. What on earth was that? Oh. <laughs> I've no idea, man, grandmother. Someone put explosives in my granite crunchies. Oh dear. I love that not only are we at this part of the series where Youngstar basically can't do anything without fear of being blown up or crushed by, uh, by Itstar. Well, yes, it was you, but the other you. I also like that he's coming so completely bedraggled and, and 
he is smouldering, but also there's smoke coming out of the puppet's mouth, as if that bomb went off inside his mouth. Which is fairly horrible, but also uh, quite in keeping for how uh, how cruel it star is to young star. What do you see in your amazing crystal? Two of Earth's kinds, spaceships, approach. The Terrorhawks? One most certainly belongs to that accursed clan. Yeah, this is just the Martians were minding their own business until Cord decided to get it into his head to go after them. Otherwise, they wouldn't have been doing anything this week. There is little doubt that they intend to attack. <gasps> to arms. We must defend ourselves. Yeah. Oh, this is good stuff. Some very good stuff coming up. Patch me through to Spacewalk. I love this, sir. Uh, Lowering and raising microphone that Cord's got right next to his chair. Investigate a first strike nuclear attack on the alien base on Mars. Mm. Nuclear? Madness. I'm gonna stop it. Yay. Oh, he's taking. Oh, it's Hawklet. Little Hawklet. Um, which we saw a couple of times in the second series. Einstein's coming aboard, sir. Take a note, Sergeant, on how to handle a whining. Pinko weirdo. Oh, uh, seems Court has uh, some uh, some uh, things on his mind regarding Einstein. Welcome aboard. Let me show you around the real starship. Having said that, I do like the look of the bridge and the, the way the soldier characters fit into it. Um, I have to say though, the way Cord is sat on his chair, it does look a bit like he's sort of um, listening, Sergeant, on the bog. The idea of a nuke first strike is to eliminate the enemy so it can't retaliate. So, they have the ability to control matter, bend time. They'll hit back and hard. I've met you bleeding hard. That's, that's an, a, a lovely point that Tiger raises there, that takes into account not only Zelda, but certain other members of her, her clan, these, these monsters that the Terrorhawks have faced over the years. I'm asking you to call off the attack. Negative. Which, of course, leads into a wonderful sequence on Mars. This is possibly one of my favourite shots of the whole series coming up. Because who will fly the Zeeft already, mein grandmother? Ah. Because we've called in those monsters to fly the Zeefs. A farmer. To defend Mars. Mighty Shram. Lord of Felony. Yay. Lord Temple. Master of Time. Yay. The delightfully devious furry Napoleon. Yay. And, uh, young star. Stand <laughs> up straight, you slovenly The Earth's scum are attempting to annihilate our base. But we will retaliate in full. Good fortune, my brave Avengers. <laughs> yeah, I love this shot of young star Tempo, Yuri, and Sram, or the four of them together on screen. Save your thunder for the enemy. And this, I found this on first viewing so satisfying, seeing these well, three of the, the regular guest monsters uh, on screen together, because considering the show had like four or five guest monsters, they were never on screen together except for this episode. It was like almost like they they'd never interacted. Now here we have 
Um, Young Star and, and Yuri going out. Okay, we've seen that before. Lord Tempo teaming up with SRAM, which is a nice image, considering there's uh, there's not much room in the Zeef cockpit. There's not much headroom for SRAM. And also the fact that SRAM doesn't talk anymore. I do particularly love, though, the Young Star Yuri team up. Where y Young Star would have himself believe that he is in command, and really it's just, you know, we'll do whatever whatever the heck Yuri feels like doing is what we're going to do. Two interceptors destroyed. Something's locking their guns. What? Yes, and here we have these, uh, these interceptors that Big White One has sent out. Looking very similar to the Vipers from the original uh, Battlestar Galactica. Bam. Now, and also that is driven home in the, the the launch tube that we see them deployed from, is basically the same tunnel that you'd see on on Galactica. I believe the tube was the, the the model of the tube was mounted vertically, and the the vehicles were then sort of dropped. The camera was positioned on the top of the the launch bay, and the the Vipers were just dropped to the bottom. You'd never realise that unless you'd seen pictures behind the scenes, and this is very cool. Having been blown to bits. As a master of time, I can arrange an action replay. Tempo and Sram Zeef magically reforms. I don't know how Lord Tempo manages to reconstitute himself after he's been blown to bits. You would think that once he was blown to bits, he was dead, and um, obviously not. But it's, it's also very cool that just for that moment you think, oh my goodness, they've killed two of our, our regular villains. Oh, no, wait, they haven't. I like it when they can't hit back. And it helps make make the Martians seem like a credible threat for once. Um, because they are killing these um, these uh, interceptor pilots. That's Young Star has just murdered... All interceptors are destroyed. ...whoever was at the controls of that interceptor. Launch the second wing. And Cord hasn't learnt anything. We're going to send out some more. And that one doesn't even get out of the launch tunnel before it gets blown to bits. Call it off. Negative. So it's lovely to not only have the Martians on the defensive for once, but actually to see them, you know, rout their opposition so thoroughly. We were nearly hit. Do something, Yuri. Yeah, what's Yuri going to do? He's going to break the guns. And these guns are very similar to the ones seen on um, on Moonbase Alpha through the second series of Space 1999. All portside guns inoperative. You can't win this one. There is also a statue on the side of Big White One we saw in a, a few shots as the Zeefs were, were overflying it. I'd love to know what that actually was. I'd also love to know... Damage control reports fires in number four and five holes. While all this is going on, where is Spacehawk? Mars. But sir... I gave you an order. It's like Spacehawk suddenly doesn't exist, because surely if they were anywhere nearby, they would be offering covering fire, and the Zeefs would be would be going after Spacehawk. But it's like, no, 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 we've Sir. developed engine trouble on the way to Mars or something. They're nowhere to be seen. Didn't back down. Now, Cord, faced with overwhelming odds, I never lost a game in my life. He's having a complete mental breakdown. I never back down. On that game. With flashbacks to some kind of childhood trauma. I'm assuming command, Sergeant. The General's unwell. And it's kind of a, an easy way to resolve Cordo. We'll just make him unstable. But for a kid's show... Gutless wonders. This is very strange. Intelligentsios all trying to 
but all ripped down. He's pulled out a grenade. I showed him. Hit him low and hard. I hit him low and hard in the guts. I won that game. I won the game. Ran in a 60-yard touchdown. And this is consistent with uh, other similar Anderson characters who believe... It's a dud. Might is right. We saw that on General Ward's desk in Avalanche. You can believe that he would have launched his first strike against the Mistrons and been absolutely flattened by their retaliation the same way that... Tried to fight a war he couldn't win. The court has been just here. Corset. Because he thought he could just go in and nuke the Martians and... Uh, Oh, that, that final zoom in on Cord as you hear voices in his head. He's clearly completely broken. And the fact that it's these four who broke him is quite impressive. I feel the hand of nine's time in this retreat. Defense is sometimes the best form of attack. But, Mother, we won this. Time, yes. For once, we can claim victory. Victory. We must defeat the accursed clone. Oh, but for now at least they've uh, caused General Ripcord um, temporary, possibly permanent mental disarray, and that was First Strike. Oh, that is one of the best episodes of Terrorhawks. I feel that is a very popular one among fans of the show. And I, I think it's it's not only to do with the fact that we saw three of the, the regular alien monster characters working together, which is a lovely image. It's like, why wasn't the show doing that more often? But also the, the, the serious tone of the thing right the way through, which is very unusual for this period of Terrorhawks. And to give us the, um, you know, okay... General Ripcord in Big White One, it's obviously a whole you know, Moby Dick reference thing, but uh, the character comes in very strong and his breakdown at the end is is extremely believable. It's kind of a shame, again, that this is only 25 minutes. This is one that could have been expanded. More of what's here would have been so lovely because it's so much good stuff here. And if you fancy watching this episode, you can do so. It's up there for free on the Jerry Anderson YouTube channel.